Hey guys, it's Casey with The Critical Image. Thanks for joining me again today. I'd really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe on whatever podcast server you use. This is the beginning of a multi-part discussion. I hesitate to put it out there so early in the podcast existence, but it's one of the main lenses that bent my light back into alignment with the light. I began to develop it about 10 years ago or so while I was uh, in graduate school for fine art and it's still not complete. It's a super complex analogy in my head, but I'll try to make it simpler out loud. Why a Trinity is essential. I want to keep this verse in the back of our head throughout this whole discussion. Uh, It comes from Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Let me just start off by saying that this one's going to be a bit of a doozy, even for me. It's probably best to hear this as creative writing. We're going to explore creation from a pseudoscientific, semi-mathematical perspective, then cram it down, well, no, expand it up to the Christian ideology. It's not apologetics or Big Bang versus intelligent design, but don't let me over-explain it before I even explain it, so here we go. A pointless beginning. If we look at the Big Bang, the beginning premise is that at some point long ago, everything in our universe was crammed into a single point, which even my eight-year-old knows is smaller than the period at the end of a sentence. This is where I will begin. I want to first explore the idea of a point. A mathematical point is a single location on a line or grid that can be described as a number or set of numbers, respectively. The issue here is that the point's existence is reliant on a structure larger than it also existing. There must be a line or grid on which the number is defined. Jumping back to the Big Bang, if the entire universe is contained within a point, on what grid could that point be defined? If the grid was held within that single point, we begin to run into a paradox, if not a full-on contradiction. Without a grid, there would not really be a number to assign such a point, and who would be there to give it such a number anyways? If the whole universe is contained in that point, there would be nothing outside of it to observe it. We're beginning to get at the problem of a singularity of space-time, but before we go further or introduce an external observer, Let's unpack this a little bit more. As I suggested before, I do not understand numbers as constituting a physical reality, only a linguistic sign. To abuse Jacques Derrida's term difference, a sign can only exist meaningfully in relation to the traces left on it by all the other signs that are absent. To oversimplify it, A word only has meaning because of all the other words that it is not. I include all this mumbo-jumbo to say that a singular entity cannot exist, or at best is meaningless by itself. If indeed the universe ever was condensed into a single point, it did not exist at that point. As far as I understand though, the Big Bang universe was not ever truly a single point only a very small, very densely packed pre-thing or non-thing. But what about biblical creation? Was it creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing? 
did it, could it have started from a single point? Was God alone before he created? Was there a God before creation? Let's start by looking at creation via language. First, we'll look at Genesis 1, where God spoke everything into existence. Ooh, uh, okay. Genesis doesn't tell us how God created the universe. It just says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. While we assume this means the universe as we know it, it could be that there was already a universe full of chaotic stuff, and God created by assembling that chaos into the ordered cosmos we now know. This is how we, who are made in God's image, create. We take raw materials and order them, shape them, into nameable and usable things. Maybe the image in which we are created is to be creative. Is not one of the first commands to have dominion over the earth? Our dominion is not over nothing, and we don't create from nothing. Did God ever rule over nothing? Did he ever create from nothing? Biblically, it seems clear that there was at least a spiritual host over which God reigned before our creation. Remember, let us make man in our image. But if God and possibly a heavenly host created this universe, what was there before in the beginning beginning? Now, it seems biblically reasonable that because everything else is said to have been spoken into existence, there's no reason to believe that our universe and our world wasn't just spoken into existence. But what about the universe or the creation before our creation? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1 Okay, now we have at least two entities in the beginning. The Word, presumably Jesus in some form, and God, I guess the Father. We'll assume this beginning is the beginning before universal creation because John goes further to say, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that's John 1.3. So now we're starting to get somewhere. And at the same time, we're getting back on track toward answering the question, is a trinity necessary? We have found two entities, and if we simply add to the Father and Son of John 1.1, the Holy Spirit of Genesis 1.2, you know, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, now we have our Trinity existing at, or more precisely, before the beginning of creation. But this is basic Trinitarian theology. So why did I introduce all that stuff about geometry and linguistics? to prime us for seeing that a trinity, and by a short leap, the trinity, is logically necessary for existence in general. Now, going back to examine our first point, if a single point cannot exist alone, what would allow it to exist? Let's visualize it real quick. Imagine there is one single point, and next to it, another single point. Now, what does next to it mean when we are talking about singular points. Next to it is meaningless because we still have not defined a space in which these points exist. But to add an entire space is going too far and too fast. If we take a quick look at the creation described by Lucretius the Epicurean, which is not biblical, 
we see him suggesting a pre-creation universe filled with atoms that were in what we may describe as a zero-entropy state. They were evenly distributed and not interacting. Only after one of them swerved and touched another did they begin to pile up, initiating creation. As part of our thought experiment, let's look at that primary interaction. We can relate two points to each other in a simple way. When two points touch, they begin to create a line. According to the website Wolfram, a line is a straight, one-dimensional figure having no thickness and extending infinitely in both directions, uniquely determined by two points. End quote. Not only do the two points determine the line, but the line is the medium between the two points. Here we do not have space or even a grid. We can't even define distance or time yet. We don't really even have a line, only a line segment. But what we do have is a primary infinity. The line between the two points, no matter how apparently small, can in theory be divided and subdivided infinitely. We now have three entities, two points and a line, that act as a single unit but contain the infinite. We've twisted Spinoza a bit. For him, what is most primary, Descartes' substance, is infinite. But in our case, it is not infinite in number, but infinite in essence. Further, in our model, because of the immediate emergence of three at once, I'm tempted to argue that essence, existence, and being co-emerge simultaneously. That, only because of our viewing angle, do we perceive any one of the qualities to be primary. Now, we have a working metaphor for our unmathematical proof. In order for one thing to exist, at least three definable things must exist. The thing itself, a thing to which it can relate, and the relationship between them. And as soon as these three things exist, an infinity of possibilities exists. Specifically, the infinite lies in the relationship, the line, between the two points. This may be the most overly complicated love story ever. We could imagine the existence of any number of beings before the creation of our universe, but we cannot imagine any existence with less than three. It's a pretty abstract idea to follow, so let's imagine a more concrete scenario to get the picture. Imagine being alone in a room, completely blindfolded, and wearing really good noise-canceling headphones, essentially senseless. You can sense nothing but your own body. If someone else came into the room under the same restraints, you may each think you were alone in the room. The only way to discover each other would be to physically touch. It would be as if the other person didn't exist until there was a connection. A communication. Now, there are many downfalls to our example, but it gets the point across. Two or more entities must touch or interact or communicate in some way in order to exist with each other. Even if we admit that existence is possible without connection, see Lucretius's pre-creation state, when we take seriously the idea of difference, 
we can stand firm on the idea that there is no meaning shared between two entities that do not interact. In my opinion, it is the touch, the interaction, the shared communion, if you will, that is the foundation of existence and meaning. At this point, we become tempted to play the analogy game. One point could be God the Father, the other could be the Son, and the line between them, the Holy Spirit. I kind of like this analogy because it gives God Jesus subjectivity, while the Spirit is the way they connect, but it doesn't really seem to fit the Bible very well. So, I mean, just as easily, this trinity could be creator, created, and their interplay. I also really like the idea of two subjects and a consciousness that emerges between them. Still more, the naming of any set of three may be appropriate, but the reality that a trinity is necessary allows for a trinity to be found in all relationships. We can therefore say that the existence of the form of the trinity is omnipresent. Ultimately, it would be a mistake to place God or Christ or the Holy Spirit at any fixed point, as this leads us to idolatry. At the same time, a line seems too simplistic to me, and therefore I only use it as a simplified model for what I imagine to be perpetually moving, multi-layered, multi-dimensional fields of existence. Maybe something like a multi-dimensional Venn diagram. The illustration I'm proposing is a dialectical ontology of the divine. Returning to the analogy of the line is only by traversing the line, by moving between the individual points along the path of the unity that we can have meaningful experience, whether of the divine, the resurrected Christ, or simply the other. When we stop the movement of any point, we objectify its being, effectively killing it. All living beings continually emerge in their subjectivity by remaining fluid. To make the most concrete analogy I can, our blood must pump through our bodies in order for us to stay alive. Likewise, the mystery of God is not that we can never know him, but that our experience of God is not static. It cannot be contained in a single, nameable time, person, place, or thing. Recall the story of Moses in the burning bush. The fire did not consume the bush, it gave it meaning. As a side note, I've heard Hebrew scholars say that the name Yahweh tells Moses is better translated as, I will be who I will be, as opposed to, I am who I am. Will be denotes active becoming, while am signifies only presentness. I take them together and get something along the lines of, I am and I will be. I'm thinking Alpha and Omega language here. With the point being that God, Jesus, and the Spirit are not present only in the beginning and end, but everywhere in between as well. The Trinity is present with us along a line-like path. We walk the straight and narrow to be in communion with God. As Johnny Cash put it, I walk the line. I'll spend the next few posts building on this idea by developing a model of existence that shifts between three modes of sensing, feeling, believing, and knowing, while at the same time 
placing consciousness in the space between the two points. I will begin here on a long arc towards distinguishing between truth, belief, and feeling in hopes of relinquishing relativism while promoting something akin to a relational Christian theology.